The complementing skill sets of Havertz and Rice were a key reason that Arteta has looked to bring them together. The entire tactical remodeling of Arteta's midfield had been predicated on the German playing alongside Rice. Havertz has been earmarked to replace Granit Xhaka in the left number 8 role, but he has played most of his football at Bayer Leverkusen and Chelsea as a number 10 or in a withdrawn striker role. It's a bold move, but it was considered feasible because Arteta sees Rice as having the athleticism and ball-winning ability needed to complement Havertz and Martin Odegaard either side of him. On paper, this makes Declan Rice the number six and Thomas Partey the right back, but in practice, Partey often becomes the lone pivot, and Rice becomes a hybrid in possession. 75% touch-heavy controller, think Zinchenko, and 25% box-crashing eight, think Xhaka. Another way of saying that is just a true box-to-box midfielder. Hello, and welcome to Arsenal Audible. This is Nathan, and today I'll be reading another excellent piece by Billy Carpenter called Forest for the Trees. In this piece, Billy goes into a few aspects of Arsenal's win over Nottingham Forest uh, in depth, including some players, the midfield, and really focusing on how this new lineup and the new ways that this lineup played throughout the game uh, impacted the win, the goals on both sides of the pitch, uh, and more. Uh, It's a really insightful piece into the differences and changes that we saw uh, Arsenal play on Saturday. Uh, Very different than we'd seen before, and this really breaks it down uh, in a detailed and helpful way. So, let's dive in. Forest for the Trees Taking a step back to see what we can glean from the opening win against Nottingham Forest, including the new shape, Havertz and Rice, how to break down a block, and the limits of tactics. Written by Billy Carpenter on August 15th, 2023, and published at Edu's Barbecue, which can be found at billycarpenter.substack.com. TLDR, I was sad about timber. So I wrote a couple thousand words on the Nottingham Forest win to distract myself. Enjoy. It's the players, dummy. In the first half of Arsenal's season opening 2-1 win against Nottingham Forest, Martinelli was feeling himself. After contributing a comp reel of backheel assist to Eddie and Ketia, he left Serge Aurier on the ground, the latter looking like a pitiable old man trying to flag a bus. And in Billy's article here is a looping gif of Martinelli roasting Aurier and leaving him on the turf at the Emirates. Well worth watching many, many times over. The battle wasn't over, however. In the second half, Martinelli dropped low to offer his teammates an outlet for progression. Pride in tow, Aurier cleaned him out and stepped over him. 13 minutes later, Martinelli decided to return the compliment by cleaning out Aurier near the touchline emphatically stepping over him, probably a few choice words along the way. Aurier, of course, uh, taking offense to this and pushing Martinelli just a bit. This battle was one feature of a bristling contest that included exciting debuts, unfamiliar patterns, moments of brilliance, familiar reasons for pause, heartbreaking injuries, and an all-too-nervy ending. But I'm not even focusing on this skirmish to shine a light on Martinelli's play, which would be easy to do. I'm focusing on it for another reason, the players. 
The wizardry, the wounded pride, the frustration, the unexpectedness, everything. It's also profoundly player-driven, and so too was the game, as it should be. This is true of all three goals, starting with a moment of genius we already mentioned. Poor Arie getting roasted by Martinelli's backheel assist to Enkedia. It was true, too, of Saka's long, bending rip past a crowded box. It was even true of Forrest's goal, in which a sub-don and shot out of a cannon Anthony Alenga simply ran past the leggy legs of Arsenal. There was ample coverage, but two players just did better than six defenders. Last week, I talked about how I like to review an article by coach Wanma Lilo once every couple weeks as a slap in the face, reminding myself not to overcomplicate the simple or to cocoon my nonsense in fancy terminology, at least as much as I can. In that article, he said this, We, the managers, have too much influence. It's unbearable. We have our own ideas, and we say that we espouse them to help people understand the game. Bullshit. It should be for the players to understand the game as they understand it. Complimenting James Madison, our new hated rival, who, in fairness, is looking like a made-to-order number 10 in the Angeball system, he said this, He's an authentic footballer. More of a street product than an academy product. He's daring. He has nerve. A manager can tell him to do A, but if he believes B is the right option, he'll do B. I just love this. Any idea that comes into James Madison's head is a hundred times better than any idea you will find at any coaching conference. Something I've enjoyed noticing lately is how, against stubbornly disciplined blocks, almost every goal is scored by somebody defying a teammate's nudge to do something safer smarter, more correct. Odegaard is a delightfully extreme example of this. Always communicating, usually gesticulating. He can be found imploring his teammates to make the right pass from the game plan, all while opting for the weirdest possible idea when the ball is his. His on-ball prowess manipulates flow and expectation, resulting in goals. That's because if you do the expected high percentage thing against a rugged low block, there is a high chance that the defenders will be on your page as well. If you want to score, the freeze frame of the goal is likely to include a shot of your very smart teammates suggesting you do something else, just like Eddie's first goal against Forrest, where Odegaard is about uh, four yards behind Eddie, motioning for him uh, to pass the ball to Odegaard. Uh, And then across on the right side is Havertz, showing how wide open in space he is, uh, imploring Eddie, to to pass the ball to him. Instead, Eddie sticks in the back of the net. And then on Sokka's goal, same thing. We see Jurian Timber uh, telling Sokka what to do with the ball, which is something very different than bend a world-class shot into the top corner, which Sokka, of course, opts to do. To paraphrase Lilo, any idea that comes into Bukayo Sokka's head is 100 times better than any idea you will find at any coaching conference. Martinelli's back heel and Ketia's glorious blast. Yes, Sokka's claustrophobic curler, the shoving and long shots and all that. For as much as we talk about tactics, and we're about to talk tactics, don't worry. We should never forget who we pay to see. The Boxy Diamond Many were surprised when the lineup was announced. There were two reasons. First, Gabrielle was missing for the first time in 73 Premier League games. And second, the personnel seemed to point to a new shape. But as a keen reader of this newsletter, 
you may not have been so surprised. Writing back in mid-June, two weeks before Havertz signed, we outlined the first way we'd like to see him used in progression, particularly against low blocks. Here was that. If I were drawing up the best way to get the most out of Havertz, it would be this, as the point of a three-diamond three, with license to roam forward, across, and behind. By inverting Thomas from the right, Rice can step up a little forward and do what he does best, and Havertz can be covered behind, both by Rice and Gabrielle. There are some things to sort out in terms of block shape. Does everybody in the back line shift over a spot? Also, there is thin depth at midfield inverted right back, where only Party and perhaps White can play at the moment. It would be great to fortify that before the window is closed. As circumstances arose, we also suggested playing Havertz up front in a sturdy 4-2-4 long ball formation. And that's what you saw against City. Against top sides or excellent presses, the team can revert to a 4-2-4 double pivot with a rotating striker pairing up front. This would be incredibly sturdy defensively and is how Manchester City ultimately bested us. That first look is ultimately what was used against Nottingham Forest in the season opener. As we all know, suggesting formations before they happen is what really matters in life, and I should be showered in adulation, not to mention newsletter subscribers. It modulated a bit, and seemed to have even earlier triggers for Havertz to float as the game progressed, but let's examine how it worked in practice. With a Scout PPDA, that's passes per defensive action, of 33.21, Forrest showed almost no pressure in the first phase of buildup. That means that, statistically, they allowed 33 passes before an intervention. Arsenal was able to progress up to the half-line unimpeded, as many of their opponents will this year. Partey was generally the primary pivot, but in earlier buildup, Rice had the option to drop down and help as he saw fit. And he'd often drop all the way back to the center-back level for a carry. Here, he was transitioning out of helping the ball up after a recovery, so a familiar 3-2 is played, with Havertz in the standard left 8 position. Swap out the names, and what starting positions the players are transitioning from, and this could have been any game last year, perhaps with more tilt the other way. And here we're looking at the back line of Ben White, William Saliba, and Jurian Timber. Uh... And in front of them is Declan Rice and Thomas Partey. Partey, who is shifting up from his right-back position. Kai Havertz is up in the top right corner of the screen in the standard left eight. Uh, Arsenal are essentially shifting a fullback into the midfield position, as Zinchenko often did from the left last season. Uh, this time, Thomas Partey is doing it from the right. And then, as the ball moves up, this is when things change. Rice motions to Havertz that it's time to modulate. Thomas doesn't need his help anymore, and signals a rotation. And then, there's your diamond, or whatever you want to call it. Because right here, we're looking at the same back three of White, Saliba, and Timber. Now at the halfway line, Thomas Partey alone in front of them at the edge of the circle. And then in front of him is Rice, Havertz, and Odegaard, almost a straight line. Not the perfect diamond shape, but what we're looking at here in this photo is essentially a 3-1-3. If we're going by numbers, it might be most accurate to call it a 3-1-3-3, or a 3-4-3, or even a 3-1-6. 
my official position is I don't give a fuck. What is important is profiles and attributes over specific positions. And the complementing skill sets of Havertz and Rice were a key reason that Arteta has looked to bring them together. The entire tactical remodeling of Arteta's midfield had been predicated on the German playing alongside Rice. Havertz has been earmarked to replace Granit Xhaka in the left number 8 role, but he has played most of his football at Bayer Leverkusen and Chelsea as a number 10, or in a withdrawn striker role. It is a bold move, but it was considered feasible because Arteta sees Rice as having the athleticism and ball-winning ability needed to complement Havertz and Martin Odegaard either side of him. On paper, this makes Declan Rice the number 6 and Thomas Partey the right-back. But in practice, party often becomes the lone pivot, and Rice becomes a hybrid in possession. 75% touch-heavy controller, think Zinchenko, and 25% box-crashing 8, think Xhaka. Another way of saying this is just a true box-to-box midfielder. This freed up Havertz to be something entirely new, a floating off-ball number 10, with a base position that leaned more central an advanced possession. What do you get out of all this? An extra attacker. Here's an image showing an oversimplified version of what that looked like. This year, we have six frontline attackers instead of five. The promise of this formation showed up in fits and starts throughout, and the objective was fairly straightforward. By cramming numbers centrally in the box, you give the opponent's bus a more difficult choice of where to park. They can stay compact to match all their marks and risk giving the wingers of Saka and Martinelli space to create wide, or they can stretch out to the wingers and risk leaving gaps in the box. Here's an image showing potentially the most obvious example of its benefits. Saka is doubled out wide, stretching the formation. Little gaps appear in the defense, and because Rice is crashing the party from high, he is lost in the sauce. A Saka cross goes in his direction, and after a deflection, he gets a free shot on goal from about 13 yards out, which is narrowly bounced out. Havertz and Rice. As you see above, Havertz is up there attracting attention in what would be Xhaka's spot in the lineup. Rice is up there as almost an aggro Zinchenko. In any case, without this formation tweak, Rice is likely marked. His shots were great all day with all three on target. Said Arteta, he probably should have scored two goals today, so more of the same. He's not thinking, he's just acting, and I'm really pleased with what he's done. Meanwhile, Rice's past map shared some similarities to those of the Ukrainian. It was a little lateral, but overall, it looked like an expansive, second phase controlling number eight. Just pushed forward a bit. You always get the sense that this kind of all communication, all action role is what Rice lives for. Havertz had an excellent game out of possession and was a key to keeping the ball pinned without active menace from Forrest. He was, as always, pristine at finding little pockets of space to generate moments, was involved throughout and looked natural. One thing which hadn't crossed my mind was his usefulness as a closeout number nine. When defensive subs came on, they can just blast it long to him and he can bring it down airily and pass it to a sprinting winger in behind. He was, however, overly demonstrative in two ways. First, when demoing the new look, 
the entire lineup was a little more mechanical in their rotations, requiring active communication, like we saw above with Rice telling Havertz to rotate, instead of looking like true automatisms. This caused the couple seconds of delay that can dull the cutting edge of a team and was typical of some of the struggles in the stretch run. This especially impacts Havertz. On this day, there was a particular reason Arteta wanted to be quick. We spoke that we wanted a very high rhythm game today because we knew the pitch was going to get dry and it was really hot and it's going to be slower. Second, he had a couple opportunities where he'd get the ball, then think instead of acting more decisively. At Chelsea last year, this was almost unavoidable. He'd have to take extra touches because there weren't any creative runs happening around him. As he adjusts to a new reality, he's still putting in good performances. As we saw in the late game dash, he has genuine speed. And it'll be nice to see him use it, both more frequently and more immediately. This formation has one more benefit. By often having more of a three-back look than a two-back, in more advanced possession, the center backs can be a little bit more free to push forward, with the opposite pitch eight dropping back to support the counter. This led to white overlaps, despite his work as a right center back and not a right back. If we're looking to an apples-to-apples -apples comparison to last year, this is the equivalent of Gabriel doing overlaps for Martinelli last year. And Tomiyasu did the same thing with sprints through the half space, setting up narrowly missing chances for Martinelli in the 85th minute. The left and the right. Everything was not perfect, however, and I'm sure Arteta would have liked to have left with more than two goals. Some of the clues lie, lay, in the pass map, which, as we look at it here, leans to the right side, uh, very visibly leans to the right side. These maps should always be viewed with a hearty helping of context as I think people can often seek perfect visual balance over optimum game performance. For instance, if I, Billy Carpenter, were to start at left back against Bukayo Saka, why should the game plan be balanced? Shouldn't they just feed the ball to Saka to destroy me a hundred times in a row? Don't answer that. That said, we can look at it to understand a few things. For one, you'll see how Rice's welcome desire to drop and receive the ball on the back line dropped to circle all the way down behind parties. You'll also see how the left side sags below the right side, and how Enketia would lean a little right, potentially, as a result. But if you look at them as four-player pods, White, Party, Odegaard, and Saka on the right side, proven world-elite combinations with dozens of starts together, and then Timber, Rice, Havertz, and Martinelli on the left, is 75% brand new players. As one might expect, most of the imperfections on that side weren't about structure, but about the simpler things, namely timing and shared anticipation. Here's an image of Rice uh, thinking Martinelli would be cutting behind and playing an excellent ball, but Gabby actually running inside. This is an example of a pure, unadulterated, new connection thing. For that reason and more, I'm incredibly patient. Do I think some combination of Rice-Havertz will provide more support to Martinelli than Jaka did? I do. The speed and fluidity of Havertz, in particular, should work to get Martinelli more central and into his happy places more often. Do I think there may be some adjustment period before we get there? Also, yes. We should be patient for another reason. The two great lubricators of the left-sided machine, 
Zinchenko and Jesus didn't play. While Rice and Havertz settle in, some imagination of the former Man City tandem can work to create the decisive passes and unexpected moments that were too rare. If this formation continues its use, Tomiyasu or Kivior will likely have to actively improve their high support of Martinelli, overlapping and underlapping with more frequency. It's a work in progress, but the key word is progress. Back to the block. Which brings us back to the original topic, which we've hovered around but will now address in a little more detail, though less detail than it deserves. The art of breaking down a low block. Arsenal fans can be frustrated when facing such blocks, which puts them in league with, well, the fan of pretty much every top-tier side. If you're frustrated, that's because they're frustrating. Lilo, the beautifully clear-spoken coach whom we opened with, had this to say in the same World Cup piece. Whatever block Morocco had, it was a lot of players working in conjunction with each other, paying an incredible desire not to open up spaces. It is getting harder and harder to overcome this approach. Teams can move a whole line, midfield line, defensive line, from one side of the pitch to the other, almost quicker than the ball can travel. You have to have a lot of quality to beat it. On Saturday, Arsenal fared okay, but with some notes. They were able to create a general, incessant thrust of pressure towards their opponent, but it often lacked the final moments of incision. I compared the first and second halves, and when I tried to find evidence of the team taking their foot off the accelerator, I didn't find too much. The tempo, number of passes per minute, and threat were broadly similar. What was different was the passing quality. Whereas Arsenal completed 10.17 passes per possession in the first half, that number dropped to 5.36 in the second half. A higher number is not always a good thing. Arsenal have a sweet spot between possession and directness, but the second half was full of some sloppy directness, punctuated by some passes that just looked a bit tired. Back to the block. Your job as an attacker is to get the defenders out of position. The defenders are not inclined to do so. A patient zonal block with great athletes can teeter-totter between sides of the pitch in milliseconds. That means the gaps narrow, so the passes and subsequent actions have to be immediate. Your window of opportunity grows as you gain numbers, which is the primary reason why Arteta is attacking such shapes with six players. By making rotations a little more fluid and unexpected, with multiple players attacking the half spaces at will, the coverage becomes more complex and liable for indecision or error. By further sending runners from deep, like we saw with the white overlaps, the numbers are more likely to be on Arsenal's side. But no matter what, with this amount of coaching, training, tactics, size, and physicality in the league, if the passes or runs take a moment too long, or there's a lack of coordination, you're unlikely to find joy. As we've covered elsewhere, that popped up a bit on Saturday. The other option is for some dazzling work on the dribble to yank players around. Once the block gets set, however, this becomes difficult stressful work and reminds us of why Gabriel Jesus is so special. But the best option is to attack quickly and decisively before the block is set. We rightfully gave all the credit to the players, but tactically all three goals were a result of post-corner routines. On the first, 
Martinelli tracked down a cleared header and immediately turned around to pressure the box, knowing that this was a fragile opportunity to find the Forest team out of shape. On the second, Saliba sprinted to the corner, dispossessed Gibbs-White after a heavy touch, and Saka went running into the middle to get a shot off the less settled block. The same numbers and forward lean that created the first two goals then resulted in the post-corner Forest goal that made it to 2-1. Attacking these chaotic moments is vital. If you can't handle me at my Awaniyi near post happen, you don't deserve me at my Saka far post screamer. Final thoughts. All my thoughts are with Jurian Timber. It is just genuinely so sad. As you could probably tell by these newsletters, I couldn't love him more. Here's hoping he comes back better than ever. I was going to shoehorn some thoughts on the future of the defensive line into this post, but it's already too long, so I think I'll save that for later this week. There are many other topics, and Kedia, Odegaard, Gabriel, Tomiyasu, among them, that I'd expect to cover more in the weeks to come. Back to this game. My general thought is that if you were encouraged by it, you were correct. If you thought it lacked some incision and polish, you were right too. But structurally, I think the approach is more than sound and will only gain steam upon further uses. The idea that Arteta is sacrificing some short-term comfort for some long-term potential has become a weekly chorus of this newsletter, and I repeat it now. Just because something is not perfectly clicking now does not mean it won't in the future. In fact, that kind of possessional dominance and functional superiority is especially encouraging when you think of how much potential there is left in the tank. In truth, I'm less concerned about the forward lean or the dynamics of the attacking line. I think there are enough talented players and enough ideas to make that go bang. The open questions are, what happens when a team more forcefully attacks the spot behind the inverter? Party, in this case. Who still looks pretty quick these days, but a bit slow. Then it becomes too difficult to cover back with so many players forward. The team already played on the edge of that last year. With another player up, it raises the burden and the loss of timber may hurt. But we still have Saliba. And thus brings us to Declan Rice. All of these moves emanate from his decision to sign with Arsenal, including the sturdy block against Man City and the ability to use Havertz as a bonus attacker against Forrest. I watched more than a few expensive squads this week, Bayern, Liverpool, and Chelsea among them, and found myself thinking how much better they'd look with Rice in the lineup. Too bad. However sad the Timber news, we are still very fortunate, and still much improved. That is because of the vision of Edu, Arteta, and a wider support system. But at the heart of it all are the players. To paraphrase Rudyard Kipling, we can tactic without making tactics our master, and we can data without making data our aim. What a joy it is to watch these guys play football every week. Happy grilling. This has been a reading by Arsenal Audible. Thank you for listening along. Thank you.